Ephesians chapter 5, I found the following magazine article quite interesting. Leonardo da Vinci is widely considered one of the most diversely talented individuals ever to have lived. As an artist, he's known for, of course, The Last Supper and The Mona Lisa, among others. However, his total output in painting is really rather small. There are less than 17 surviving paintings that can definitely be attributed to him, and several of them, interestingly enough, are unfinished. The article said the small number of surviving paintings is due in part to his chronic procrastination. He often required a sharp threat by his patrons that they were about to withhold payment to motivate him. The Mona Lisa took over 15 years for him to finish. Worse was the Virgin of the Rocks. Commissioned with a seven-month deadline, Da Vinci finished it, are you ready for this, 25 years later. Seven months to 25 years. Da Vinci apologized on his deathbed, and it quotes here, to God and man for leaving so much undone. End quote. You know, if we're not careful we can come to the end of our lives with the very same regret that we left so much undone. Or we could come to the end of our lives with a different regret, that while we have accomplished so much in life, we didn't accomplish what we should have accomplished. In other words, we wasted our lives on that which does not really matter. We excelled in that which is worthless And we neglected, we failed in that which is eternal. Now I know that two-part messages are not ideal, but sometimes they're necessary because of the passage and because of the material. And last week we started talking about making godly choices in life. We're overwhelmed with so many choices in life. I shared with you last week that uh, they tell us that each day we make somewhere around 35,000 decisions. Some of them are very minute. Some of them are kind of automatic. You know, I'm going to get up. I'm going to put the blanket here. I'm going to do that sort of thing. And other decisions are great, challenging things that we wrestle with. But we realize that we can't do everything And we want to do, I hope, the best things. We want to do what God wants us to do. So how do we do it? Because we have thousands of choices in front of us every single day. And in our study of Ephesians, it's helping us to know how to make the right decision. So let's go back, and I want to read the passage again. What I'm going to do, since this is part two, I'm going to quickly review the first three instructions that I gave you. And then we're going to focus primarily on the fourth instruction, which is today's main focus. So I'll give you a review of what we covered last week, and then we'll pick up right from there as we think about four instructions for making godly choices. Now, you're in Ephesians chapter 5. I'll begin reading at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now we're talking about four instructions for making godly choices. I'm making the assumption that the majority of folks here that I'm speaking to are believers. If you're not, by all means today, please give your life to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Repent of your sins and trust Christ today. But I think the majority of folks I'm talking to have already settled that and you're a believer. And so I'm making the assumption that you want to do God's will. You want to do what God wants you to do. So how do you do it? Well, here are four instructions for making godly choices. Let's review the first three real quick. Then we'll dive into the fourth new one uh, today. Number one, we have to live carefully and wisely. Live carefully and wisely. That's what verse 15 says. We need to watch our step. We walk circumspectly. We watch where we go and what we do. Remember, we're talking about making godly choices. Things that please God. Things that are in line with God's will. And beloved, we battle today against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're in a spiritual battle. We talked about that earlier in the service. We've got to watch our step. There are landmines all around. I mentioned to you last week that in all reality, we're all just one big, really big, dumb mistake from ruining our lives. And so we have to walk very carefully, circumspectly, realizing there's landmines all around. I want to walk wisely. I want to walk carefully. We need to stay close to the Lord. Stay in the Bible. We need to be building up our wisdom to know how we can live not like fools, it says here, not throwing our lives away, but living carefully and wisely, walking, following the Lord. Which brings us to the second. Now, this is just review. You say, I just got that one written down. Let's review. Number two, make the most of your time. Verse number 16. Verse 16 says to redeem the time, to buy it back. The idea here is to make the most of our time. We are just given a limited amount of time, and life is short. Now, no matter how long we're given to live here in regards to eternity, it's a very short time. If we live to be 110 in light of eternity, that is just a speck. And not only are our lives short, but it says here the days are evil. We live in a wicked, evil world, a dark world. And truthfully, with so many choices... And so many ways to spend our time, we've got to be wise in how we do it. We can literally throw our lives away as we fritter away our time on that which does not matter. So what, how do we make the most of our time? Well, just quickly, you've got to have an eternal mindset. You've got to think into, in regards to eternity. Ask yourself when you're debating things, what is this going to matter a hundred years from now? What is this going to matter a hundred years from now? See, there are things that you're going to do today, they're going to matter a hundred years from now. They have eternal dividends. They're an eternal investment. And there are other things, they're not going to matter a hundred years from now. And I know we have to do some of those things. I mean, you have to mop the floor. You have to sweep. You have to do the dishes. All that's part of life. But what I'm saying is when you're really wrestling with your time and your scheduling to really kind of contemplate, will this matter a hundred years from now? Have an eternal mindset. Invest in eternal things. And then number three, remember we're just reviewing. Number three, we need to follow God's will. Verse 17 says that we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. And God has a will for our lives. And last week, you can go back and get it off the podcast if you want to hear this kind of fleshed out more. But there are different elements or different parts of God's will. 
Number one, God's will is for you to be saved. To, to be saved. First Timothy 2, 3, and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. So that begin thinking about God's will. The very beginning point, the first step is that you know Christ as Savior. That's God's will for you. That you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another element of God's will is God's revealed will that applies to all believers. You say, where do we find that? We find it right here in this book. It's called the Bible. It's God's holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Infallible. And in, in God's Word, there are things He tells us that applies to all believers in all times. Um, if you're wondering about does God want you to be truthful or not, you don't have to wonder any longer because God says in His Word, don't bear false witness, do not lie, speak truth one with another. So that's revealed and that applies to all of us. If you're wondering, we'll study it in a moment, if God wants you to get drunk or not, wonder no longer. God's Word says here, He gives us a warning, do not be drunk with wine. He says elsewhere, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And so there are things that apply, and not only things that we should not do, but things that we should do. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The great commission, the great commandment, all of those things are the revealed will of God which applies to all of God's children. So you have God's will in regards to your salvation. He wants you to be saved. You have God's will in regards to His revealed will for all believers. And then we have a third element, which is really where we oftentimes put our focus. And that is God's, we'll just call it this for lack of a better way of saying it, God's personal will for your life. And I walked you through last week talking about roles and responsibilities and priorities. But just in review, we know that God has a will for our life personally. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And so if you're wondering about work salvation, that's pretty clear there. It's, it's the finished work of Christ that saves us. But then if you keep reading in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, it says this, For we are His workmanship. We're His masterpiece. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Listen, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now think about God's will for your life. And again, this is review. I'm not going to camp here long. But God had a purpose in creating you. First of all, that He might have you as his child, that he might know you, that you'd have a relationship together. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to walk and grow in holiness. But he had purposes and plans for your life. He has things he's prepared, it says, beforehand that he wants you to do. And we walk through that there are things in life at this point in history that God wants you to do and nobody else. We talked about roles and goals and responsibility and all those sorts of things last time. I would encourage you to go back and get that if you were not here. But you need to take the time to examine your life and really seek God's will. What is it He wants you to do? Some of you are at that stage of life right now. You're nearing the end of high school and you're wrestling with those questions. Where do I go to school? What do I do next? Do I get a job? Who am I going to marry? All those sorts of things. God has a plan for your life and He wants to use your life for His glory. And He's molding you and shaping you and sanctifying you to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these are three of the four instructions of making godly choices. Godly choices. But there's a fourth. And this is where we pick up today.
And this is where we add to the list. And the fourth is very important. It's a key to making godly choices. And it's simply this. Be Spirit-filled. Be Spirit-filled. Verses 18 through 21 talk about this. Verse 18 says, I'll read it to you in the NLT, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, where did this reference to drunkenness come? Because it seems out of place. I mean, it just says, Understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, redeem the time. Don't be drunk with wine. Like, huh? Well, let me just tell you. Well, we do know that when it comes to making good choices in life, that's just good advice. That's good counsel. That's a good command. Don't be drunk with wine. But the interesting thing here, by the way, the Bible always warns against drunkenness. Uh, the Bible does not forbid drinking outright. I can't take you to a place where it says thou shalt not drink. But it has much to say about drinking and it has a lot of warnings about drinking. And it always, it always forbids drunkenness. It always forbids drunkenness. And the thought here is this. When you're drunk, you're not in control. When you're drunk, you've given control over to another substance in your life. And the point here is, and by the way, if you've ever been some, around someone who's drunk, or maybe you've experienced that yourself, you understand when you watch a drunk, they're not in control. They're out of control. God here is using this as a contrast. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be out of control. Don't be under the control of something else. Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Do you see the contrast there? Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol leads to a loss of control, or it can lead to a loss of control. But being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what it leads to? Self-control. Self-control. Furthermore, this reference may seem out of place, but actually, as the scholars tell me, it may be, as one author noted, the context, the context suggests that Paul is here speaking especially about the drunken orgies that were commonly associated with their pagan worship ceremonies of that day. Remember we talked about just how wicked and evil this area was. We talked about that I think a couple of weeks ago. And part of their worship may have included drunken orgies and that sort of thing. And so, as believers, we don't give ourselves to sin. We give ourselves to God to be controlled by God. Now we've been singing about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the worship team sang appropriately this morning, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. In other words, Holy Spirit, you come over, you take control, you got everything that's going to happen here today. And by the way, we should always pray that. We should always pray that. Before we get into the feeling, though, let's just talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. A lot of believers go wrong in their thinking on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical, eerie feeling. The Holy Spirit is not just something. The Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Part of the Trinity. You say, well, I don't understand that. I don't either. But the Bible teaches it. We take it by faith. The three in one. And the Holy Spirit does a lot of things in our life. Even before we're saved and after we're saved. 
The Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. He's God. He's a person. It's not appropriate to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It's him. God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes. When we're lost in darkness and dead in sin, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into our lives and opens our blinded eyes and helps us to see our need of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit's the one that says in the Bible, He comes and takes up residence. He indwells every single believer, not a part of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. If you're a child of God today, so when we sing, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome here, He's already here. He's here because He's God. He's omnipresent as God. But He also, He takes up residence. Every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. The Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. When you do wrong, yes, we have a conscience and God has given us that gift. It can be seared. We can fight against it. But when you sin as a believer, your conscience can bother you. But if your conscience doesn't bother you, the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will put His finger on that and say, that is wrong. And He'll convict you because He wants to bring you back into a right fellowship. And then not only does the Holy Spirit do all of that, the Holy Spirit does what it's mentioned in this passage, and that is He fills us. Now, it's interesting. Because we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, this requires our cooperation. The moment that you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came in and took residence in your life. You didn't have to do anything. You trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence. But this requires our cooperation. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Anytime we use illustrations to... Talk about God. We've got to be very careful. We want to be reverent, respectful. And any illustration I can give you is always going to fall short because we're talking about God. But but as I was studying, I was thinking about the Holy Spirit. This helped me. I want you to think about Alka-Seltzer for a moment. Now, for those that are younger, you say, what is that? Well, Alka-Seltzer, they're actually kind of fun when you're young. You might want to get some play with them. I don't know. But um, if you're really bored and your phone dies, if you had some Alka-Seltzer and you had a glass of water, I mean, you could have fun for a few seconds at least. But Alka-Seltzer is a type of medicine, and you drop it in water, and it, has, it, it begins to go to work and it begins to fizz. I think they call it effervescence, right? Isn't that the term? That's just a fun term to say anyway, effervescence. You drop it in, it begins to fizz and go to work. By the way, I got something, this is totally off subject, but I got this little piece to go on my bookshelf the other day and it had candy in it. And I didn't know what kind of candy it was and so I stuck it in my mouth, it started popping and fizzing and all. It was, it was Pop Rocks, I guess. Alright, that's off the subject, but my kids were laughing at me about that last night. But, but this is, this is Alka-Seltzer. When you drop the Alka-Seltzer in the water, it goes to work. And it impacts all that water. If you had two glasses of Alka-Seltzer, and I could have brought that today, but I didn't, but you had two glasses of Alka-Seltzer, and you opened a package and you put in two in the one glass, it's going to go to work. But I took the other pack and just threw in the pack in the water, guess what's going to happen? 
nothing. Because I haven't cooperated, I haven't opened the package and poured in the Alka-Seltzer so it can go to work. Both glasses have Alka-Seltzer in it. What's the difference? One was opened and allowed to go to work and the other was not. Here's the point. Every believer has the Holy Spirit residing within them. In fact, the Bible is so clear. It says if you don't, you don't belong to Him. It's not optional. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living within them. He's a resident, but He's not always the president. That's what being filled is all about. Being filled means that I cooperate, I obey, I give the Holy Spirit control of my life. And when I do that, He goes to work in my life. He begins to fill my life. You say, well, why do we need that? Because we can't live this life on our own. Jesus says, I'm about to go, but I'm going to send a comforter. He takes up residence in our life. Talking about godly choices, you know, life is filled with choices. And a lot of choices are all good. A lot of them are all good. But we want to know God's way. We need the direction of the Holy Spirit to guide us. And so we need to be filled. And by the way, it's not a one-time deal. You see, God the Holy Spirit takes up residence forever in our life the moment we trust Christ. But the filling of the Spirit is a cooperative thing as we walk in obedience. And I might be filled right now, right now or I may not. In fact, I can, as we're going to study, I could say it this way. We're going to see if we're filled or not. Because if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be some evidences of that in our life. And sometimes we're filled and sometimes we're not filled. You say, well, what, what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. We often go to Galatians and, and we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and this is part of it. If you're taking notes, write down this reference. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So you wonder, am I filled with the Spirit? Well, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, love. Are you filled with love right now? Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness. We oftentimes are not filled when we're driving, are we? Goodness, faithfulness. Here's an interesting one in our world, verse 23 of Galatians 5. Gentleness. And then, self-control. What do you say in Ephesians 5 here? Do not be drunk with wine. Don't be out of control. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is self-control. So we have the fruit of the Spirit, but that's not the only evidence of being filled. In fact, we're given several here in Ephesians 5. Now, you're still in Ephesians 5. I want you to see some things that are going to be evident in our life if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want you to notice there's going to be a song on our heart and on our lips. There's going to be a song on our heart and lips. Look at verse 19. So now we're going to see what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A song on our heart and our lips, verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, to the Lord. Do you notice three directions there with your singing? First of all, speaking to one another. 
and then speaking to your own heart and then speaking to the Lord. Did you notice that? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to yourself and to the Lord. That's the power of music and the gift of music. I'm thankful for that God gave us music. When we're here singing together, we are singing to God, we're singing to one another, and we're singing to ourselves. God gets the glory. He's the focus of our worship. But we get the benefits of it. I can say it that way. And so when we have someone like Braden come and sing a song, she's singing to the Lord, she's blessing us, and she's blessing herself. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then there's different types of music. Did you notice that? So even in our service today, we've had different types of music. We've had organ, we've had piano, we've had uh, guitar, we've had uh, hymns, we've had contemporary music. And that's appropriate. Why? Because he says, speak to yourself, sing to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Say, so what does that mean? Well, most scholars divide it this way. Psalms, that is Old Testament psalms. If you want to know where the, old, the, church, the early church's hymn book was, you're holding it in your Bible. Go back to the book of Psalms. We can literally sing the Psalms. I know in Bible college we would sometimes sing the Psalms arranged. We would sing the Psalms. And then there are hymns. Hymns are more Godward. That is, they focus on God, they focus on the Lord, and they praise the Lord. And so hymns are God-focused. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Um, how great Thou art. See, it's a Godward song. So it's not focused here on you and me. It's focused on God. And then there are spiritual songs. And most take that to mean songs of testimony. Songs that are focused more on what happens to us. What's going on in our lives and encouraging us with our, 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 our spiritual journey. And so... All of these are appropriate. We should have all of these in our worship. But you see, this is the result. If you, you have a song in your heart and your lips, that's a, that's a fruit of the Spirit working in your life. You say, well, I can't sing. What, what, well, sing go somewhere and sing somewhere by yourself then. <laughs> or put the, put the radio on or, or and sing along or just listen. But you see, there's the power of music. There's a song at least in your heart. Truth. Secondly, we've got to hurry. Not only is there a song in our heart and our lips, there's also gratefulness in our hearts. Look at verse number 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're Spirit-filled, when God the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives, our lives are going to be filled with gratefulness. In other words, we are thankful. It's interesting to note, by the way, that we see the Trinity in this passage. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Spirit, even in this passage as we are studying it today. There's a gratefulness in our hearts. And then thirdly, thinking about the filling of the Spirit, there's humility and submission in our lives. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, this is not a popular subject. It's not a popular practice. And by the way, we're going to see more of it in the days to come as we keep studying because he's going to deal with this again in relationship to the family and the home. But here it's talking about humility and submission. Esteeming others better than ourselves. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28? And whoever desires to be first among you. A lot of people want to be first. 
But from a biblical standpoint, to be first means what? Let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You see, we don't think from a worldly standpoint. We think from a biblical standpoint. And the Bible says if you want to be first, then you act like a servant. You act like a slave. You put yourself behind other people. If we're going to make godly choices, we need to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. But how does that work? How do we go about doing that? Well, it's interesting because we said we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to compare Scripture with Scripture. Can I put another passage on the screen for you? Now, I want you to think about what we just read in Ephesians, what we're studying right now. Verses 18 through 21. Now, I want you to see what it says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Notice what it says. In what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Does that sound familiar? To God the Father through Him. Now when you compare Scripture with Scripture, very similar except one part. And I don't know if you call it or not. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Colossians, he says, be filled with something else. What's it say? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. In other words, in Ephesians, he says, let the Holy Spirit fill you. And in Colossians, he says, let the word of God fill you. And the interesting thing is, the result of both is the same. How is this? Well, I'll say it this way. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and makes us more like the Son of God. That's what God is doing. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's sanctifying us. That's a $20 word. It simply means He's shaping us, molding us, making us more like Jesus. That we'll have the character of Jesus in our lives. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? How do we control, how are we controlled by the Spirit? We're controlled as we obey the Word of God. As we obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. It might work like this, so you're living life, you get yourself in a situation where you're now tempted because of the circumstances to tell a lie. Because if you tell a lie, you can get out of this. If you tell a lie, it'll be easier, you think. But God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And you have learned the Word of God. And you know, the Word of God says, speak truth one with another. You know, the Word of God says that you should not lie. Do not lie. The Ten Commandments, you learned them in Sunday school way back. So there you are standing there. You're in a situation where you're beginning to sweat a little bit and you're tempted to lie. And the Holy Spirit brings to your mind the truth of the Scripture. Hey, you're a follower of Christ. Here's what the Word says. And you make the decision at that moment. Am I going to obey or am I going to disobey? Well, to obey may be costly. But when you obey, you're acting like the Son of God who never sinned and never lied. You see, the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and makes us like 
the Son of God. That's what he's doing. I like what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, at times it helps to return to the very basics. Life gets complicated. Things get convoluted. And we get confused. When that happens, it helps to distinguish the essentials from the non-essentials as we return to the fundamental building blocks of Christianity. And that's exactly what we have here in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Now you've got to make some choices. Like it or not, you've got to make some choices. You're going to make some choices after church. You're going to make some choices this afternoon. You're going to make some choices tonight. You make a choice every time you pick up your cell phone and you begin to say, what am I going to do with this? You make a choice every time you turn around. There's choices to be made. How do you make choices that are godly? How do you make choices that are going to last for eternity? Well, here are four things to remember. Number one, live carefully. Live wisely. Number two, make the most of your time. Redeem it. Buy it back. Number three, Understand what the will of the Lord is. Follow God's will. Seek Him. Obey Him. And number four, let the Holy Spirit fill you, control you, guide you, direct you, help you to live a life that will be pleasing and honoring to the Lord. Father, we love You. We praise You. We adore You. We ask for your help in these matters before us. Lord, we have so much we have to decide day in and day out. Help us to decide to live exactly as you want us to live. To do exactly what you want us to do. Lord, help us to live for that which is going to outlive us. I pray today if anybody doesn't know you, they'll come to faith in you. And for those maybe who are wrestling, that your Holy Spirit would give them direction and guidance and peace this hour. We ask this now in the holy and precious name of Christ. Amen and amen. Our closing hymn, 334. As we think about the Holy Spirit, we have been all of the service. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew that I may love what Thou dost love and do what Thou wouldst do. Would you stand? The altar is open if you need to come. 334.